Welcome to Season 2 of the Food for Thought Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Hallstrom. Thanks for tuning in today. On our Season 2 opener, the food processing team has gone into forecast mode. Listen in as Editor-in-Chief Dave Fusaro and Senior Editor Pandemitrokakis talk about what we can expect in the food and beverage industry in 2021. Throughout the next half hour, we talk about what trends we can expect to play out this year, as well as how COVID-19 and a new presidential administration will continue to impact the industry as a whole. Enjoy the episode, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Food for Thought podcast on your favorite podcast streaming app. Dave Sorrow, Pantomitrococcus, welcome back to the Food for Thought podcast. How are you guys doing hey. today? Thanks for having us. Very good, thanks. And thanks for everybody yeah. listening in, too. Yeah, yeah. We're excited. So many people have been enjoying this podcast. And it is now 2021. We've got a whole new year in front of us, which means we also have a bit of an outlook. This is one of our favorite things to do at the start of every year is look forward and see what we might be able to expect for the food and beverage industry. So, Dave, as the keeper of the outlooks every year, I have a question for you. Let's talk about trends. Can you give everyone a review of the overall trends that have become apparent during the pandemic and whether or not you see those continuing into 2021. Uh, Yes, indeed. Well, yeah, that is definitely the elephant in the room. And a lot of the things that uh, got underway in 2020, we'll see, have to see how they play out in 2021. I mean, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of the pandemic. The, uh, although it kind of started, it was relegated strictly to China in 2019, in, in December of 2019. Uh, it didn't really appear over here in the States until, uh, well, there's a little bit in January. The first death wasn't until February 29th, uh, for better or worse, leap year day. And even then, people didn't quite know what was going on or how severe it would be. But in early March is when, you know, out of an abundance of caution, that's such an overused term lately, uh, some states started closing schools for like a week at a time, and other things started closing, and yeah, people started to panic. You know, is this uh, something that's going to last a week? Are the grocery stores going to close? They see restaurants closing. So in March of last year is when uh, things started uh, really heating up in terms of the pandemic in the U.S. So the first thing was there was a round of pandemic buying, a panic buying, rather, and, uh, you know, people went to grocery stores and just cleaned the shelves off of, uh, well, toilet paper and the hand sanitizer first and foremost, but there was, uh, if you know you're going to be, if you think you're going to be locked into your house or the grocery store might close, which they never did, you know, what are you going to buy? You buy a small amount of fresh foods, but mostly you're going to buy um, shelf-stable stuff because they don't know if the grocery stores are going to close for a day or a week or whether it's going to be several months. So things like canned foods, especially soup, uh, shelf-stable items like 
boxed macaroni and cheese and, and frozen pizzas. Uh, they, were, they were flying off the shelves. And, and the companies that made them were, were doing just fabulously. And then restaurants started closing, and that kind of accelerated the thing and also made some really problematic uh, issues for food companies that had both um, food service and retail customers. Then there was cooking at home, and, and baking in particular took off. But the cooking at home, you know, when you had the kids home from school as well, people didn't want to experiment and spend a lot of time preparing food. They, they were looking for the simple stuff, you know, like hamburger helper and the Kraft macaroni and cheese. So that's why uh, pantry staples became very popular very quickly. And companies that made those things, their sales had been flat for years, but suddenly they took off, and they had phenomenal first quarters of uh, 2020. Um, and then meat plants started shutting down. They became the poster child for uh, worker transmission of the virus, and um, most of them didn't shut down for a long time, usually like a week at a time, but nevertheless, there were some supply chain disruptions, and uh, that only accelerated, I think, the uh, consumer curiosity about plant-based uh, proteins, in particular meat analogs. So um, a lot of trends were started during the pandemic. It'll be interesting to see if they uh, continue into 2021. And, and another one is uh, as the pandemic wore on, and this is something, you know, that happened in, in the second half of 2020, people started uh, looking to eat for their own health, eating for immunity. And there was quite a pickup in foods that were fortified with vitamins, especially uh, the antioxidant vitamins, uh, things like C, E, and, and even D is now being um, considered as something that helps with immunity. Anything with antioxidants in it, probiotics also uh, took a starring role that they, they play a role in immune health. And um, like, for instance, my wife has started buying gummy supplements with elderberry in it. So things like that have uh, really taken off during the, uh, the end of the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. I know I, I already had a vitamin D deficiency before all this pandemic and trying to find vitamin D now um, in a pharmacy or a store has become almost as elusive as finding toilet paper was back in March. One of the things you brought up, Dave, it talked about the meat plants shutting down. And Pan, you cover a lot of the plant operations side for the food processing brand. And you were the you were the one who, you know, on the website was definitely posting all of the different things going on with the meat plants. So I want to talk to you a bit about that. You have a great vantage point to talk about how food company operations changed during the pandemic. So first of all, what do you make of the surge of popularity in center store products? Well, as Dave said, uh, there is a big incentive for consumers to stock up uh, on center store products because they knew that they would be stuck at home for a while and they weren't sure of their supply. And uh, as he said, that's why a lot of processors like General Mills, Tyson, Campbell, Kraft Heinz all saw huge gains in sales of those products 
that they are continuing to enjoy. Even um, comfort foods like snacks, you know, potato chips were up 30% in March. Popcorn was up 48%. Now, the big question that these companies are going to be asking themselves, are asking themselves right now, now that vaccines are on the way and the end of the pandemic is in sight, is how long will this last and which of these tendencies will persist after the pandemic is over? And um, uh, there's uh, a couple of things to take into account here. For one thing, I've seen speculation that more people will remain working at home or at least work at home more than they did before there was a pandemic simply because they found that they liked it and their companies have found that it's something they can do and it's a way that they can uh, accommodate their employees. And then um, uh, the second one, I think, would be that um, a lot of consumers have been forced to learn at least the rudiments of cooking. And they may find that putting together a meal every night or, or at least several most weeknights a week is something that they want to continue doing. Uh, it's something that they can use to keep their family's diets under control, and it helps a lot with the food bill. So uh, if there is a bit of, of stickiness or if that trend has legs after the pandemic, then we're going to see a, um, a certain, you know, certain amount of uh, continued demand for center store items and the kind of pantry items that can that can help people cook. So it, it's all speculative at this point, but I think it's safe to say that consumption patterns probably will not be exactly as they were before this all started. During our early episodes of the podcast, which happened to be earlier in summer 2020, something we kept talking about was the supply chain. And yes. that hasn't seemed to change a lot. I mean, it has and it hasn't since we first aired those early podcasts. As we know, there's been a lot of disruption in the supply chain due to the pandemic. Why do you think that happened? And are there any permanent changes likely? Well, the biggest disruption initially was in the need to move quickly from food service to retail channels because as restaurants closed down uh, or switched only to delivery and as uh, consumers you know, were seeking more and more to, to get their food from grocery stores, um, it, there just was a, a great suppression in the food service channel and a, a great surge in the retail channel. In many cases, uh, producers were not equipped to handle that. Probably the biggest example was in liquid milk. Um, a lot of liquid milk is destined for food service and especially institutions in the form of those half pints of milk that school children drink with their school lunches and breakfasts. Um, and uh, switching to retail production was so difficult that in many cases it couldn't be done. There were cases where dairy farmers were literally told by their co-ops to dump their milk because it wasn't worth the trouble of coming to pick it up. And that had entirely to do with uh, processing and especially packaging uh, simply because it wasn't easy to switch 
uh, from, say, uh, half pint for institutions into uh, half gallons for retail. It's just not something you can do uh, on a dime or even in some cases at all without major retooling and, and rethinking of your business plan. And so now, um, as demand has evened out between food service and retail, uh, and as it will continue to even out during, you know, after the pandemic, then uh, that situation will alleviate, but it was sort of an object lesson in the fragility of the supply chain. And then in terms of permanent changes to the supply chain, what we might see is at least uh, some backing away from the just-in-time model of delivery. You see, uh, conventional wisdom for the last few decades, really, has been that um, inventory costs money, and the whole drive was to get as much inventory as possible out of the supply chain at every point from processing to retailing, uh, just because the, the thinking was that sitting on large stocks of food um, or, or products or wh whatever kind of products uh, just isn't profitable. However, um, when we saw uh, rampant out-of-stocks at the beginning stages of the pandemic uh, with, with certain popular items uh, being unavailable or, or, or scarce, uh, that sort of exposed the fragility of the just-in-time model. Now, um, will we go back to having massive inventories in grocers' back rooms? No, of course not. Uh, that's never going to be viable, and especially not after the pandemic. However, um, the, the supply chain might very well be tweaked so that um, uh, there is a greater ability to... Um, to meet surges and ebbs in demand and um, to supply uh, supply retailers uh, on a more local basis. Um, so um, again, we'll have to see what happens, but, um, but I really think that the, uh, the GIT model is going to be uh, altered at least a little bit when we come out of this. You know, those videos of farmers dumping milk and, uh, and the conditions in meat plants uh, that circulated on the Internet and on, on your evening news on TV as well probably motivated at least some people to uh, try plant-based proteins in both the dairy, uh, milk category and in the meat category. And uh, um, if, if those images were burned into their psyche, uh, a lot of those people who tried non-animal protein sources will probably stick with them in 2021. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting, the animal, uh, the plant-based protein rather, is going to be definitely something interesting to watch in this coming year. Um, Pam, I wanted to touch back on something about when you were talking about retail. Um, that's an element that we don't we don't cover a lot on food per se, but it's something that obviously food processors deal with um, constantly is the retail partners. Has the pandemic brought any changes in the relationship between processors and food retailers, at least from what you're seeing? And 
Are any of those likely to endure? Before I answer that, let me give a little bit of background as I see it. The relationship between food processors and the retail trade customers is always going to be fraught for one simple reason. Uh, they both want the best price. The processors want the highest price and the, their trade customers want the lowest price. That's never going to change. Um, however, there's always been a debate in the industry over exactly how much information and sharing and cooperation uh, is appropriate between the processor community and uh, the food retailers. And that debate has only gotten more intense uh, as we plow further into the digital age for this reason. Uh, grocers have a wealth of information and data about their shoppers uh, that they gather through uh, digital means, loyalty programs, just generally tracking uh, consumer purchases, purchase patterns. And um, there's been a debate for a long time over how much they can and should share with processors to, uh, uh, to shape further uh, you know, future strategy. Uh, and then on top of that, um, there's the question of how much processors can and should spend on um, trade expenses such as slotting fees and promotions. Generally speaking, the more willing processors are to spend money on those things, the less demanding uh, their trade customers become on price. And um, according to what I've been told, uh, the industry had been moving toward a greater, uh, greater cooperation in, in that regard. Now along comes the pandemic, and uh, grocers have a lot of trouble getting the stuff that their customers suddenly are demanding and the lesson that a lot of them are taking away is that it's good to be in bed with the big boys. It's good to have uh, large processors as your suppliers because those people are in the best position to find what you need and to make the adjustments that need to be made to make sure that you have in your stores what your customers want. Uh, we saw that with companies like Kraft Heinz and Mondelez and PepsiCo uh, cutting back on marginal SKUs so that they could uh, devote more resources to pumping out the mainstream products that were suddenly in greater demand. So uh, I'm guessing that uh, at, at least some of the major food retailers, the major grocers, are grateful that their major suppliers were able to come through like that. And the, the bottom line, as I see it, is that uh, this can only help uh, the nature of cooperation between retailers and uh, processors in many respects going forward after the pandemic is over. One interesting wow. thing that didn't happen during the pandemic uh, that, that it has happened in, in previous uh, economic downturns was a movement toward private label store brand products. Um, it's interesting that, uh, you know, when, when uh, the economy starts crashing, most people tend to gravitate toward cheaper stuff, but it didn't happen this time. They seem to take comfort in the familiarity of, of buying 
real Oreos made by Nabisco or Mondelez and uh, cereals that were made by Kellogg or General Mills and not going to uh, private label products just out of uh, just out of saving a few dollars. That is a great observation. Um, I mean, and who could have predicted that that uh, you know that sort of purchasing behavior? Speaking of purchasing behavior and you know, maybe some of the decision, the business decisions behind things. Dave, you cover a lot of the business side of food and beverage. Can you uh, talk to me, talk to the audience about what kind of business trends you're seeing? Well, for one, um, the big food companies, as I said earlier, they've, they've had a difficult time over the last five years in growing top-line sales. Uh, they, they managed to do some things internally to uh, to save money, and their profitability has been okay, but their top-line sales have been uh, going down. They did phenomenally well during the pandemic. Uh, most of them had familiar products, uh, famous brands, and, and as a result, uh, you know, they did just fine. They had great fiscal years. Or, or years during during 2020, the little ones seem to suffer a little bit. Uh, they, if they didn't have uh, reliability in your supply chain, and somebody like a General Mills or a Coca-Cola can, of course, uh, exert whatever pressure they need to keep their supply chain coming. But if you were a smaller company, you probably had more difficulties, and, and it wasn't a great year for small companies. Um, but the question will be whether they can sustain uh, the sales growth that, that they've endured during 2020, whether that'll continue into 2021. Also, a, a kind of an oddity, there were there were few big acquisitions last year. I mean, Mars bought Kind uh, late in the year, and earlier in the year, Ferrero bought uh, the uh, Keebler cookie and cracker business from from Kellogg. But but there were no real blockbusters, I think, during the year. Um, which is kind of odd, too, when you consider how low interest rates have been. But I think the big companies uh, were busy just trying to keep up with demand, and, and uh, you know, maybe they'll look to acquisitions during 2021, because certainly uh, interest rates are going to stay low throughout, uh, throughout this year. A lot of them, too, um, you know, this thing started in ch- – this pandemic started in China – and I was at the financial analyst meeting in, in February, and uh, companies like I think General Mills and uh, PepsiCo were talking about – they were warning the financial analysts early in February that there was some little flu going around in, in China, and we're going to close our plant in Wuhan yeah, probably just for like a week. You know, it's not a big deal. It's never going to affect our U.S. sales. But we just want to warn you, financial analysts, that our Chinese sales are probably going to be a little depressed for, uh, you know, maybe this first quarter. But, uh, you know, obviously it's spread throughout the world. And I think a lot of companies are rethinking uh, overseas production. Um, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and, and with uh, trade issues with China, um, China is not the, uh, you know, the, the, the pot at the end of the rainbow that it used to be. Pay scales in China are growing. Chinese competition is growing. So it's not uh, an automatic place where you can make the cheapest and good quality products anymore. So 
I think uh, there's going to be a movement to onsource, to, to bring a lot of production back uh, to the United States, or at least to com- countries that, that we feel more comfortable with. Another thing that, that comes out of uh, you know, the business side, uh, and someone mentioned it earlier, that uh, everybody's been working from home. We, we right now are working from home, aren't we? And um, it caused, to some extent, a pause in R&D. I think, uh, as I said earlier, that a lot of companies just wanted to hunker down and, create, and, and produce more of the familiar products that people were buying. But uh, that caused a pause in R&D. But also, we did some stories recently about R&D teams that were having to work remotely. And, and, you know, Zoom meetings are helpful, but they're not as good as in-person contact. And especially when you get into the tasting uh, and and going back and forth about a new potential food product, uh, working remotely is not as good as working in the lab and and in the office. So... um, can I can I just jump in here and, and say one thing? Sure. Um, that's re- that's really true, and um, it was also mentioned to me that that's a factor in uh, building new relationships between processors and retailers during the pandemic. Uh, you, you can't really go visit people in stores anymore, and uh, trying to sell a new product over a Zoom call just isn't as effective. Yeah. So that's another reason why there's a big uh, or, or a better bond between. Uh, retailers and larger processors because they have those relationships already in existence. Well, and shameless plug uh, to all people listening to um, pretty much half, at least half of our 2020 Food for Thought podcast episodes because we did actually, I spoke to all three of our R&D teams and that was one constant. I I definitely kept asking how COVID impacted that product development and R&D cycle. And yes, um, I know with our processor of the year, they talked about, you know, they really took to Zoom. And even when we did a report on our, um, Formulation Trends, one of our recent podcasts as well, talking about those relationships of not being able to go and meet face-to-face and just that impact, yeah. You can only have so much fun over a video call or so much relationship building and networking over a video call. So it will be interesting to see how that goes back. But um, Dave, you were saying um, about just, the relationships and the networking and uh, the digital side of things. Well, uh, speaking of the digital side of things, um, one more business and plant operations uh, impact of the pandemic is, um, and especially maybe in the meat plants, uh, there's going to be, I think, a look toward more automation, Uh, not only because it increases flexibility in manufacturing, but uh, if you can take workers out of some of these uh, processes, um, they're not going to call. Uh, robots aren't going to call in sick, and they're not going to be affected by the pandemic. And there also was a lot of remote uh, monitoring of equipment and troubleshooting. So this pandemic forced food companies, who have, you know, in, in terms of the big picture of industry, food has probably been a little behind. Uh, in terms of automation and, and the higher levels, like uh, the industrial internet of things, but the pandemic forced a lot of progress in that area, and I, and I think the experience has been good. So that's probably something that's going to carry into this year. For sure, um, you one of the things you've mentioned 
as well as, you know, the consumer analyst meeting. And I, I remember that. I remember you were at the meeting and mentioning in an email back to the, you know, back to the office, hey, people are talking about this. You know, we were posting a couple of articles about COVID at the time, and now here we are. Uh, <laughs> however many months later, almost 11 months later, here we are. Um, so, and you also mentioned something about international relationships and kind of where we are in the world and how we are working with other, um, you know, just trade, global trade. Um, there's a lot to unpack there, too. But let's do ourselves a favor um, and let's put the pandemic aside for a second. And let's talk about 2021, which, you know, the whole gist of why we're here today. Let's talk about what's coming up in 2021. Dave, give me yeah, your well, thoughts this, on that. Uh... The new year is underway, and, and vaccinations, uh, to bring the pandemic back into the picture for a minute, vaccinations are well underway. So it'll probably be not too long, hopefully, that, that we at least achieve herd immunity and, you know, before too long, you know, maybe near total inoculations. So um, that's a bright spot going into the new year. Um, in a couple of days, there'll be a new uh, presidential administration taking over. And, uh, you know, Biden and Harris and the Democrats in general uh, are perceived to be probably more pro-labor, uh, pro-labor unions um, than the administration in the past. Probably a little more lax on immigration, too. And uh, while the, uh, the labor situation will financially be a negative impact for some of the big food companies in terms of worker retention and, and worker recruitment um, having a better a happier labor force will probably you know serve them well and a $15 an hour minimum wage uh, if that ever comes to be again will hurt financially but probably feel pretty good when you have a lot of qualified workers who are happy to work at your company. Uh, the stock market responded very positively to uh, to the Biden election, you know, back in November and December. So um, the, the bigger financial markets seem to be comfortable with the new administration. There are um, two regulatory issues, labeling type issues that are coming up this year. Um, one is uh, the Nutrition Facts Panel, which should have been done last year. You, the effective dates for different companies were actually uh, during 2020. But uh, because of the pandemic and because the FDA had uh, other things on its mind last year, um, the enforcement of that was pretty lax. But the FDA has already sent out some uh, notifications. That it's going to start enforcing the new Nutrition Facts Panel in 2021, and they're going to be pretty pretty strict about that. The other labeling issue is uh, this is the year finally to get your act together on uh, bioengineered foods or, or GMOs. Uh, the effective date for that is actually January 1st of 2022, but obviously you have to get uh, the new labels printed and, and figure out what uh, strategy, what tactic you're going to take on that. So those are two regulatory labeling things that have to be done this year. And um, 
You know, on the again on the issue of worker recruitment and and uh, retention, it's going to be interesting to see how companies continue this work at home thing. Uh, again, we're all three of us are working from home, and uh, I don't know that I'll ever go back to an office. It's working pretty well for both me and my employer. So companies are going to have to invest in some technology to to make sure that works well. Uh, workers seem to be happy doing it. Uh, that can't hurt in terms of recruitment and retention. So working from home, uh, n- not a thing for factory workers, of course, but for office workers, executives, and, and maybe even the R&D teams, that's something that's going to have to be accommodated uh, in the new year. And, um, you know, despite all the things we talked about and trying to remove, again, the pandemic from the discussion, still the million-dollar question is going to be, what will, how will consumers consume and buy foods in this new year? So it'll be a question of whether or not they go back to uh, high-end products and exciting ethnic products and sampling new and exciting things that, that supposedly were going on you know, more than a year ago, or whether they've uh, rediscovered their love of frozen foods and boxed macaroni and cheese dinners and... Uh, um, simple things um, from trusted brands. 2021 is definitely going to be an interesting year to watch just to see how we unravel and kind of unpack from everything that 2020 brought us. Yeah, hopefully so, it'll be a little less interesting than 2020. Oh, gosh. Hopefully, yeah. So. It'll be interesting to watch. You know, you brought up, too, the R&D element and the so a lot of people being at home, I wonder if the R&D teams also working a little more remotely might play into some of the development, some of the products that are developed 2020, early 2021 and going forward. It will be interesting to watch for sure. But with that, um, especially from our respective home offices, I want to thank you both for sitting down with me today. It's always informative to listen to both of you. Um, Pan and Dave, you have so much knowledge and intelligence about the food and beverage industry and I'm excited oh, thank that you. Uh, yeah, I'm excited that everyone else gets to, you know, hear it from both of you, not just what you write about, but also articulating it in a podcast. So Thank you both for joining me from your respective home offices. And thank you to everyone listening for us today. Um, Podcast, definitely almost another adaptation of things that became a little more natural to your daily or maybe weekend uh, routine listening to podcasts. So from everyone on the food processing, food for thought podcast team to everyone listening, thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you again.